Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 4-25-2021, and we're continuing our worship service. We're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Um, uh, the thought of the week title, it is the gift of God. All the words used in conjunction with grace have the same character, the word gift, which speaks for something which is bestowed upon us as opposed to something we earn. Salvation is not a reward. It is a gift, and God knows the difference. Romans chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. I am surprised how many do not know the difference between a gift and a reward when it comes to salvation. What is the gift of God? The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. This salvation is the gift of God. Whatever your thoughts may be about salvation, take a step back and hear it from God's perspective. Salvation is a gift and not something to be earned, even though these words are quoted by many. They are busy going about their own way trying to earn something God will only give as a gift. If you are working for salvation, you are not saved by grace. If you are working to keep yourself saved, then you may not have you may not have understood or received the free gift of God. Instead of working to prove something, why not simply accept the free gift? The terms of salvation for many in this verse have been committed to memory. You can Again, quoting the words, they honor me with their lips. Oh, excuse me. You can begin quoting the words, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Your attitude of pleasing God must be confined to what God says pleases him, or else you are only pleasing yourself. Be careful here. You may be wasting your time trying to work for what is given as a free gift. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Um, these words, to me, require very little commentary. I, I will broach uh, upon a, a little of something. Uh, Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 says when you were dead in your sins and to me dead I don't know how somebody dead can have communication with anything or anybody uh, and uh, God additionally says uh, in Adam all died so if you're dead I don't know how you can somehow make yourself alive so the rest of the verse says, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. God did the work. 
he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and has disarmed the powers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by means of the cross. Uh, at this time, we're going to turn the service over to White for prayer. Thank you very much, Fred. All right, I think we have quite a few things on the plate already from previous discussions. Well, let me already get started. Unless there's something specific that somebody wants to add. I know about our aunts and uncles and relatives uh, with health challenges and uh, passing as well. Um, is there anything in addition to that? Well, then let us take to the throne of grace. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity that you have afforded us in this world, in this dangerous battlefield. You have given us an opportunity to look deep into your words, to look and to know your deep thoughts through the Holy Spirit and the word revealed to us. And we ask that... Um, you know, we face numerous challenges in this battlefield and people all over the place um, are having difficulty, even those close to us, like aunts and uncles and sisters um, and, and all kinds of family and grandkids. It's, it's, um, it's a mind-boggling challenge. We ask for your support and help in, in dealing with these issues uh, while we're here on this battlefield. Help us so that we can become, so that we may be efficient soldiers, um, ambassadors, carrying out your work. And um, I pray for the, the comforting of those affected by health challenges and financial challenges. I pray for um, assistance wherever it might become available. And let, let us be of assistance while we can. I pray for the Word of Truth Church, people on this call, and all of our members, uh, that we would be diligent in seeking you, uh, seeking to know you and your depth. And uh, I pray for the church worldwide as well. There's um, believers all around the world, depending on your word. And I ask that um, all together we would come to the knowledge of the truth that we are all one in Christ. I pray that um, I pray for Doug, Pastor Presley, that word may be given to him and opening his mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, and that he may declare it boldly as he ought to speak, and that the eyes of our hearts might be wide open to taking the truth of your word. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dwight and Fred. We are pressing on in John chapter 16, verse 8. It says, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So you should have notes in your notes when the Holy Spirit comes to this world at Pentecost. The ministries of the Spirit will be unprecedented. The Spirit himself is not new to this world. 
and always played a role in the Father's plan from the beginning when the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. That's in Genesis 1-2. When we stop to think about the Spirit of Truth, we will begin to see the plan unfold through his work. Just as the world was transformed in its restoration, we also are transformed by the Spirit's power as we submit our hearts to the Lord. It would be wise for us to understand the working of the Spirit. The enemy is busy at this point to twist and distort the Spirit's important work in all ages, for it is Quote, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. That's found in Zechariah 4, 6. A very familiar verse, but it also speaks to the fact that the Spirit of God was at work with Israel as well. He continues that work today, and but he adds some new things. We're going to have to talk about this. So let's see if we can dig in. When he comes. So literally, it's the spirit of truth will come to the disciples at Pentecost. So Jesus has been saying this. And these are all the verses where you could look back and see where Jesus literally says these words. When the... When the advocate when the spirit of truth comes when he comes right, so you, you could look at those verses i put them there for your reference but uh, if you have been following along then you know the context and that is that jesus has been telling us about this time about when the spirit will come because the disciples have been pretty upset at the news that jesus is leaving so Jesus tries to point them to uh, the benefits of why he's leaving. And the disciples are still uh, full of grief, as the scripture says. So what we understand is they may not have comprehended what Christ is saying, but all of this, Christ understands their frailties and their ignorance he understands even their lack of humility. The fact that some of these things that he's telling them, a lot of these things, are not in their theology. So he, he looks forward to a time when uh, the Holy Spirit will come and he will be able to explain in greater detail through the ministries of the Spirit to these people. So that's the thought. And you could go back and Look at the context, and if you've been with us for some time, you know that this is the context already. So this is not a surprise that when the spirit of truth comes. And if somebody says, who, who, who's coming and when? <laughs> By this time, I'm ready to scream because we've gone over and over and over this. Now, if it's a new person, obviously, okay. But if it's one of us and you are not paying attention that... The time that we're talking about, this key time, is Pentecost. You have missed something. I mean, you've been here, but you haven't. Point B. Jesus knew that the disciples were filled with grief and could not see clearly. 
they did not realize the good that would come from the advancing of the eternal plan. But they would see soon. And when we say we've been saying soon, Jesus is saying when he comes, when he comes, when he comes. Well, how long is that? It's around 50 days. Uh, of course, people are divided as to whether it's 50 or 52, 53, but it's around 50 days. It's good enough for us to know that it is soon. If somebody says something was going to happen in May or June, actually June, that's soon. That's this year. That's soon. That's not like 12 years, like Jacob had to work for seven years and for then he married uh, one daughter and then he worked for seven more years. That's 14 years. Or we could think about Abraham. How Abraham was um, told that he would be the father of many nations and he says all nations will be blessed through him and so forth. So when you think about that, that was many years down the road that promise eventually came true. I mean, we're, he could say soon, but we're talking probably 15, 20, 30, 40 uh, years. Abraham was old by this time, and the promise still hadn't come. He was 99. And an interesting thought from our Wednesday study, which we didn't get to last week, but we will get this Wednesday. When Abraham heard the news that he was going to have a son, and he was 99. It says, he fell down laughing. Now, let me just ask you, when is the last time you fell down laughing because something was so funny you couldn't even contain yourself? That was Abraham. He's like, oh, now? Now you're going you're gonna to tell me I'm going to have a son? And he just fell out. Can you imagine that? Abraham did that? Yeah, Abraham, the father of faith, did that. Fell out laughing. And guess who else did the same thing? Sarah. She and then lied about it. So she was hiding behind. I don't know if she fell out, but she laughed within herself. So much so that uh, finally when she was confronted, she says, why were you laughing? She said, I wasn't laughing. He said, yes, you were. You were laughing. And uh, listen, why? Because she was an old woman by now. First of all, she never had kids. And then the fact that she's having a kid now in her old age when it's not even time, I mean, just past time for her to have kids is miraculous. I mean, come on. But God did that through Abraham and Sarah. They had the son that God promised. But it was many years later. We just want to note that. But here, it was around 50 days that Jesus is saying this big event would happen. This huge undertaking of the, the coming of the Spirit. This change of dispensations, the one, all of that was, was getting ready to happen. It was about 50 days. So I'm just putting it in the context. So that 50 days includes... And we know that from the Passover to Pentecost, it's around 50 days. Passover is several days long, so it's a celebration that's not just one day, it's several days. So it depends. But when you think about how 
this time came about, uh, the disciples should have been on the edge of their seats. They literally should have been. If that were me there, I would have. Listen, I had just, and I had just witnessed all the miracles, signs, and wonders. I, I can't tell you I would know what's coming next, but I can tell you I would be certainly expecting something. And 50 days, hey, that's when the Spirit will come. We're moving on in our notes. We must make sure we understand the significance of the Spirit's coming. It has been horribly distorted by the world with the help of ignorant Christians, I must say. I must add, unfortunately, I have to add that. It is with the help of ignorant Christians. When I say ignorant, I'm not saying they're stupid. Hopefully you are using ignorant in its truest sense of the word. They just don't know. And in their ignorance, they resist God the Holy Spirit. Well, there is willful ignorance as well, where people don't want to know. They don't want to know. And religion has hold of them. But Christians who have seen the coming of the Spirit and have evaluated it and examined it, and all they've come up with is, you know, how this supernatural healing and speaking in tongues and that's all they get from it. emotional activity well the disciples were coming out of this emotional activity they were filled with grief that's emotional and what they were to look forward to the coming of the spirit so they could be more emotional about uh, other things no it is spirit of truth which we will get to but it's been distorted by the world we have to say that Unfortunately, I, I don't want to say that the Christian world is is ignorant about this, but they are for the most part. Uh, are, are we the only ones teaching it? Absolutely not. That is certainly not the case. Don't even think of that. But we can see that more, I would say, more people are have a distorted view or those who are public have a distorted view more so and and that is the view that most people hold especially unbelievers right they don't know but what can what can they see of this well it's an emotional activity as far as they're concerned point d with such a momentous event by god we can expect the enemy of god to twist and distort at this very point and we should we should right anything when it comes to Satan, you know he's the enemy of God. He is trying to overturn God's plan and God's thinking. Sure enough, this is a pivotal point. I say it's a momentous event in history. I mean, no time in history has this event. And you might say, well, why is he playing up the coming of the Spirit? What about some other events in history? And we could go back to the Moses when he gave the law and the mountain quaked and everybody was... That was one time in history. But this time, I'm saying, is greater than that. This is the greatest time in history ever. It is greater than anything that might happen in the tribulation. It is greater than the second coming of Christ. It is greater than... Oh, I can't imagine. What's greater than this period? The coming of God, the Holy Spirit, to this earth. It, it was even, we, we have to note, it was even greater 
than God sending the Messiah, Jesus Christ, into the world. Now you might say, well, Doug, you're going too far. Now you, you, now I know you're going too far. You, you're talking about is greater than the work of Jesus. Yes, it is greater. It's more momentous than that. And why, why would I say such things? And I could go on. I could even say it's greater than all creation. When God created the universe, yes, I would, I would add, it's greater than that. Pentecost, this pent, not all Pentecost, this Pentecost is greater than all of those things. Why? Because all of those things depend on this event. This is the reason why God created all things in the first place. And we'll get to that as well in the notes somewhere. But this is the reason God created all things. So everything is because of this. Everything is secondary to this. This is where God is finally able to call out those many sons into glory. He's finally able to do it. So we're going to get to this in the notes. This is a momentous time. God is finally able to do what he was had been hiding within himself before creation, before time began. He's finally able now, for the first time, to begin the process of calling many signs. And we're going to get to that point. E, the world has never seen such a critical, uh, such critical an event such as the creation of the world, God is finally able to point where he called, or to, at the point, he's finally at the point, I'm tripping over my own words here, where he calls those many sons. It's, he reached it. And here's a quote. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God. Now, all of this is done by means of ministries of the spirit that God is able to do this for us and and that's the quote now if we are children then we are heirs heirs of God so I'm going to read Romans 8 17 let me see Romans hold on Romans 8 and verse 17 says, well, I want to read 16. It says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So we're, we're children of God. And then now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. But I consider, I'm going to 18 now, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So the, the sufferings and reward glory is not even worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. This is God's eternal purpose. And then skip down to verse 29, uh, I think it's, uh, yeah, 29 and 30. So it says, for those God foreknew. So now we're talking, we're talking about foreknew. He's, he, pre, he also predestined, called, elected. All those words are words that happen before creation. 
you have to know if God thought about these things before creation, if God planned these things before creation happened, then obviously creation was so that God would realize his plans before creation. These are the things that God has done to bring about many sons into glory. What is what will we say that is? Creation. The dispensations that are visible. God created those in order to bring many sons into glory. He hid the dispensation that we're in now because he wasn't ready to reveal it. So 29 and 30. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, glorified looks past the future. So here we're looking before time began, before creation of the universe, to all the way through human history, to after when the summation of all things, and we are glorified. That's what he says about these are things that can't be, I mean, the hope of our calling has never been seen, never been heard of. This is unprecedented. And all of it has uh, been put into effect by, the, by means of God, the Holy Spirit. When did it start? Pentecost. This is a very unique time. More than we can even imagine. I can't even lift it up and magnify it enough because it is so large. So point F, since all things were created for this reason, this is the reason why all things were created, then it stands to reason that this event is greater. All things have been created through him and for him. Colossians 1.16b. Notice, through him, right? God the Father ordained Christ to create. He's the creator. He ordained that he would do, uh, he would create, and it was created through him. But for him says about the plan that the Father had uh, in Christ to bring many sons into glory. For him, right? So all creation is for him. Right, so at the end of all of this, the creation will be welcomed into the glory of the children of God, us. And how do we get here? It is the Father's plan to bring many sons into glory. It's the Father's plan that, plan that we might be conformed to the very image of his Son. How is that happening? Through the ministry of the Spirit, which began at Pentecost. We must note, that's what it says. These things began at Pentecost. So we, we're, we're getting into it. Um, I, I will note that, like I said, we can't really magnify when he comes, how important that is. The disciples didn't know how important, important it was at the time. They didn't see the, its significance. What I'm pointing out to you now is Monday morning quarterbacking that I'm giving you. Uh, the disciples had no clue about this. They were grieved. They were grieving terribly. And they did not notice what... Hold, hold on a sec. 